Do you remember reading Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli? What I like about Simon is it's not necessarily this whole fraught, what is society going to do to me? This is author Jason June, who wrote the novel Jay's Gay Agenda. But it was more the anticipation of finally coming out because you want to have this relationship for the first time and just felt so true to the anticipation of, well, who's going to be my first boyfriend? When am I going to meet them? What's it going to be like for their coming out journey? There's a whole history of incredible writers like Armistead Maupin or James Baldwin or people who are incredibly ahead of their time in depicting our community and their experience. Abdi Nazemian wrote the novel Like a Love Story. But in terms of writing something for a young audience, Simon certainly felt like it was part of that early wave. Becky Albertalli published Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda in 2015. The story follows a high school boy, Simon Spear, as he navigates coming out in his rather conservative, affluent, fictional community of Shady Creek, Georgia. Before the action of the book starts, Simon has only told one anonymous poster on the school's message board that he's gay. And Simon admitted his true sexuality to that boy, who calls himself Blue, under a fake name, Jacques. Neither knows the other's real name. For Simon, there's definitely a kind of thrill there and some anxiety because I feel like it's this person who has kind of a similar enough experience that Simon is potentially going to feel understood for the first time in his life about this particular part of his identity. Blue and Jock, from behind their keyboards and from under their pseudonyms, get to know each other and develop a kind of intimacy. They're flirting. But a ticking time bomb element is introduced on page one of the book, when classmate Martin discovers their emails on the library computer and threatens to out Simon to the whole school, unless Simon can convince the new girl, Abby, to date Martin. It's a recipe for disaster and for creating a page turner. But it also provides fertile ground for an exploration of what coming out really means. Abby is the first person in Simon's friend group that he comes out to about his sexuality, not about the plot he's involved in with Martin. Abby is somebody who he knows and loves and feels very comfortable around, but also like doesn't have too much of a history with. Like she's the new kid and he can be a slightly different version of himself around her. And there's a kind of freedom to that. Simon makes some bad choices with Abby and injects himself into his friends' relationships, all in the name of preserving the beautiful and special anonymity he has with Blue. An anonymity that also protects Blue, who, like Simon, isn't out yet. Cherishing this crush that he's harboring for Blue and not wanting to ruin that because he doesn't want to rush Blue from coming out and understanding that it's a personal journey. When Simon fails in his mission to make Abby date Martin, Martin makes good on his threat and outs Simon on the school message board. Soon after, under duress, Simon comes out to his parents. With his parents, it's mostly dread. That information is out. And this is just him clinging to just that last little shred of agency that he can like salvage from that situation. And his parents don't freak out. It's definitely awkward. He feels really unsettled, like it doesn't feel good. 
Then he has to go back to school and face everyone. And then at school, he's just mostly overwhelmed. He has really mixed feelings about being the center of attention. Simon's experiences inspire him to imagine a world in which straight is not the default sexuality. As Jacques, Simon writes to Blue. As a side note, don't you think everyone should have to come out? Why is straight the default? Everyone should have to declare one way or another, and it should be this big, awkward thing, whether you're straight, gay, bi, or whatever. I'm just saying. And Blue responds. It is definitely annoying that straight, and white for that matter, is the default, and that the only people who have to think about their identity are the ones who don't fit that mold. Straight people really should have to come out, and the more awkward it is, the better. Awkwardness should be a requirement. I guess this is sort of our version of the homosexual agenda. Abdina Zemian, author of the queer historical young adult novel, Like a Love Story, said this was the passage that stuck most with him. The idea that like everyone should have to come out, whether you're straight, gay, bi, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Like that wasn't something that was just for the queer community that makes us feel put on the spot or singled out. Coming out is just identifying who you are and sharing it with the world. Abdi reminds us that ideas about coming out today are different than they were when he was an adolescent in 1989, 1990, when his novel is set. There is nothing quite like writing a book about your teenage years. And then when the book is announced, seeing that it's being marketed as historical fiction, <laughs> like it's quite shocking. Anyway, I embrace it with humor. But when I was growing up, there was just this core belief within the community that everyone has to come out, you know. Coming out took on political meaning in the late 60s after the Stonewall Uprising and became an effective liberation strategy promoted by Harvey Milk and other leaders in the movement for equal rights. But today, there's more of a discussion within the queer community about how not everyone has the same level of privilege to come out safely. I think now we're starting to think about like, well, what does that mean in different communities? How do we make sure we keep people safe? Abdi's book, Like a Love Story, follows a teenage Iranian boy, Reza, as he moves from his home country to New York City in 1989 and comes to understand his sexuality during the height of the AIDS crisis. I'm a little bit younger than the characters in Like a Love Story would be, but I always felt that there was a story to be told in my generation's experience with the epidemic, which was I was a little too young to be on the front lines to lose my community, but way too old to grow up without the fear and the shame. In addition to feeling stigmatized for being queer, Reza is terrified of what his sexual orientation will mean for his future. To Reza, being gay feels almost like a death sentence. Then he meets Judy and Art. Art is openly gay, and Judy is a whip-smart, funny young woman who loves old Hollywood and marches to the beat of her own drum. Together, they work with Judy's uncle, Stephen, to demand the government deliver a political response to the epidemic. Oftentimes when we're taught history, we're taught this idea of we learn history so as not to repeat it. And as I was writing the book, I was like, but what if we like flip that and we teach the reverse of it, which is like, let's study the history that we do want to repeat. Let's study ACT UP. How did they form? How did they actually create such monumental change? in the world? How did the queer community come together when everyone turned their backs on them? How do communities survive? I wanted the book to pay tribute to ACT UP and to the activists who I really credit with saving my life. And this was before COVID. After COVID, my God, it's, it's 
eerie. Abdi says that the lessons the queer community learned fighting for a political and medical response to the AIDS epidemic were adopted by activists fighting for justice now during the COVID response. Speeding up medical trials, for example, lowering prices, which is still an issue with HIV AIDS, but it's something that we've now seen with COVID with the push to give more free medical care for people. The inclusion of women and people of color in medical trials, which was something ACT UP fought for. We've seen that again with who is being included in these trials, who's actually being served by the medical community. I think these are all conversations that have been had again. And, you know, hopefully we're starting a little bit ahead because of what we learned from the heroes of that time. There's a love triangle in which Reza dates Judy while he longs for art. Reza and Art eventually get together, but it's a tumultuous relationship. This book is about three characters who feel quite a bit of pain inside them for different reasons. And they are very imperfect. And especially with the Reza and Art romance, for Reza, I think, like, the level of fear and shame he has, the difficulty he has expressing his emotions openly coming out of his shell. And meanwhile, Art leads with outspoken rage and a sense of justice that he feels he needs to share. I wanted to show how in a relationship that could be really tricky. Art pushes Reza a little too hard, and that was a very intentional storytelling choice. In terms of his own coming out, Abdi's experience may have something in common with Simon's. I dated someone who was very much like Art, who kind of gave me an ultimatum to come out to my family or he would break up with me. And I did come out to my family, but I was basically forced to by my boyfriend and who pushed really hard. And these are really complicated things. That's why the book isn't called A Love Story, Abdi says, but it's called Like A Love Story. That like is important. But, you know, with Reza and Art, I did not want to depict a perfect romance. And there's this opinion I hear often about, like, haven't we had enough of conflict? And I suppose for me, as someone who went through quite a bit of hardship and who certainly didn't have a perfect romance until I met my husband pretty late in life, once people would consider me historical, and I lean into the importance of telling the truth. I want all stories. I, I want, like queer romances that are perfect and feel like rom-coms because we deserve that. And I also want the ones that are harder. For readers who want the rom-com, there's Jay's Gay Agenda by Jason June. It's a joyful contemporary story about Jay, the only out kid in his rural high school. For Jay, coming out wasn't a big deal. So for Jay's coming out, it was very much just like a, here I am, here's that moment that I will never forget, and now let's get down to business. Here's the gay agenda. Here's what I want to do. <laughs> Jason June wanted to move Jay past the coming out story. We need to explore the magic and the complications and all the layers of getting to be queer and what that means. As the book opens, Jay does relate his coming out experience, which his dad, Rick, handles beautifully. Rick is able to be tough in a way and secure in a way that doesn't belittle somebody else's expression of their masculinity or their gender energies. And he's just this listening ear. He can get down to the meat of something when it needs to be done. Like when Jay first comes out and Rick goes right into the, the safe sex talk, which is exactly what my dad did when I came out to him. That was a very intentional choice. 
It's not only going to be teens that are reading this book. It's also going to be parents wanting to read books so that they can get into the head of a queer teenager after their child has just come out to them. So what comes after coming out? And with Jay's gay agenda, it was not only adding on to the relationship hopes that these queer characters have, but also being able to be really frank and honest about sexual hopes. In my head, from the years 15 to 18, I was constantly thinking about sex. I wanted to explore my body through another person's body. And I think if we can't even name these things, then I think that sends a signal that there's something wrong or there's something dirty, when really, for so many of us, it's one of the most magical layers of our humanhood is being able to invite somebody to explore our body with their own. For this reason, Jay finds being the only out student in his high school complicated. Jason June explains. Everyone knows, oh, that's the gay kid, or oh, that's the lesbian. Meanwhile, you also cannot do anything that actively (laughs) makes you gay. You can't actually have a gay relationship, dating another gay person. This is the case for Jay in the book. He sees his straight and cis classmates have their first handholds, their first dates, their first kisses, and then not being able to relate, not being able to add into the conversation. Jay kind of becomes a third wheel as his best friend Lou starts getting serious with her first real boyfriend. It's very easy for people to, unintentionally or not, to make you kind of their accessory. And I think that's a really common experience for so many queer people. When we're one of the only few in our community, we're the fun rainbow accessory for straight and cis people. And so, while he watches his friends experience their firsts, he makes his gay agenda a list of things he will do once he can finally be with other gay people. That prolonged absence of love, romance, and sex is a common thread for queer kids who grew up without a thriving gay community. And it's got a downside that Jason June explores in the story. It makes it where when we're finally able to experience relationships, we will kind of jump into it head first. You're just not taking the second to one, really enjoy the moment and enjoy the connection with the person, but also take stock of the people who you're finally having these milestones with, taking stock of their energies and the direction they would like this relationship to go. His senior year of high school, Jay's family moves to Seattle and Jay signs up with the LGBTQ group at school and starts checking items off his list. For so many queer teens, when you move somewhere, especially somewhere that's a bigger city, it's not this just heartache of having to move. It's more of like, a there are so many possibilities now and this can be so much fun. Jay shows his new friend Max the list and Max makes it his mission to help Jay achieve his gay agenda. Though, of course, complications ensue as Jay is torn between his heart and his hormones. Jason June says sex-positive portrayals of gay love are long overdue. Will and Grace, which was such a step in the right direction and such a trailblazer, and I love that show. But instances on less than one hand where the gay characters actually got to have a kiss. And throughout the whole eight seasons in the original run, I think it's really important that we show queer relationships so that queer teens understand right when their romantic and sexual selves are starting to blossom, that there is nothing wrong, there's nothing that you're doing wrong when these urges and fantasies and romantic desires pop up in your head. The author of Jay's Gay Agenda found the words to define his gender identity as an adult 
Empowered by the current generation of young queer people who are pushing boundaries, rejecting normativity, and defining themselves on their terms. When I was 13, 14, 15, realizing, oh, I am gay, and then realizing when I was 32 that I'm genderqueer and my feminine energy is the source of my power and wanting to be able to physically and emotionally express that femininity and not be boxed into this cisgender mindset of what it means to be a person with a penis. Coming out is an important and formative experience for queer people, young and old, and Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda unpacks a lot of the complications of it. One of the parts that was especially hard for Becky to write takes place after Martin shares Simon's letters with Blue with the whole school and then asks Simon for forgiveness. You don't get to say it's not a big thing. This is a big fucking thing, okay? This was supposed to be... This is mine. I'm supposed to decide when and where and who knows and how I want to say it. Suddenly, my throat gets thick. So yeah, you took that from me. I started sobbing, and it was the first time I'd ever cried while writing like that. Years later, I think I have the perspective to know like what that meant to me. After the book was published and became a hit, Becky was caught up in a storm of criticism that centered on her identity and resulted in her publicly coming out as bisexual. Last August, September-ish, when I publicly came out in a Medium essay and posted it, I had spent the weeks prior sharing that with my family and close friends, but it was all very new to me. It was really scary. I knew it would be hard. I think it was harder than I expected. It was traumatic. I think it was traumatic. It continues to affect me. But, Becky says, she was raised in a town like Simon's Shady Creek, and at the time when she was coming of age, she was not invited to think of herself as bisexual or to question her sexuality at all. When things clicked into place, and for me, that was late 30s after, like, decades of major clues that I missed. <laughs> In retrospect, it, it couldn't have been more obvious. And it was something that kind of needed a dramatic reframing for me to even interpret it. And that was hard to do in the context of being an author with a very high-profile book and receiving a lot of criticism of my identity and the fact that I wrote this book and how successful it got and people's varying ideas of just who has a right to tell what story and kind of the way that conversation kind of would narrowly focus on me specifically a lot of the time. Um, strangers discussing how obviously straight you are, that you know, that you are straight and that it is obvious from your work. I mean, I was fighting against a, a lot of repression and just a lot of cultural baggage, I guess, in a way. In the end, the words that Becky wrote for Simon fit her own story, too. I couldn't have known then that I would, years down the line, feel like my space had been taken 
in a way that was uh, not exactly the same as Simon's, but had enough similarities that it's a little bit chilling. (laughs) By coming out, Becky and others have deepened the discourse of who has the right to tell which kind of stories. There's been a movement toward queer writers and writers of color telling their own stories. That is, a movement away from having those stories appropriated by straight or white writers. But some aspects of this conversation may privilege queer writers who are already out, who already have a certain layer of safety that those in the closet may not. Becky worries that this could be silencing. When I posted my essay, I cannot tell you how many people in the industry that I heard from mostly authors who were choosing not to write certain very personal stories about their own identities because they didn't want to have to out themselves. People who had written certain stories and were kind of dreading having to out themselves but knew they were going to have to do it to escape that discourse. People see how it affected me, but what you're not seeing are the people who are kind of quietly changing what they write about. No one wants discourse about inclusivity in publishing to have a chilling effect on queer art or to otherwise forcibly out people who are not ready to be out. So it's important that the conversation continues to evolve because queer young people need all kinds of representation. When you're trying to write about an experience that looks different for every person. It's hard to really definitively say something is like right or wrong, but I wanted it uh, to feel authentic. Once I got to be a teenager and I started to realize, oh, wait a minute, there are books and movies out there about the gay community and really like a white gay experience that was being depicted. I still found a way to identify, but it didn't necessarily reflect my experience as an Iranian immigrant. That's one of the reasons I love James Baldwin so much is I think he was the first author I read who did write from a place of intersectionality. We need to have queer representation to show all of these layers in terms of our gender identities, in terms of our sexualities, and know that whatever your body is telling you is something that you want to explore both physically and romantically or any definition of intimately is natural, is beautiful, is magical. Consent matters, and then from there, however you want to express your sexuality and your gender is beautiful. We need literature that makes space for all kinds of coming out stories. Everybody's experiences, everybody's contacts, social contacts, cultural contacts, contribute to just a very, very different experience of queerness from person to person. And being out means something different for every person. It carries different risks. You know, even understanding your own identity, like that process is really different from person to person. I watch with so much joy as my friend's children, if they come out, they they are embraced by their parents. That makes me so happy, but I'm also so painfully aware that both in this country and around the world, there are families and communities that are not as open. So I I would never, I would never want to presume one experience. We need queer love stories from all places on the tenderness spectrum. It's important not to shy away from the pieces of loneliness or pain that are often a universal part of the experience. Every story has hope because the act of storytelling is hopeful. It means you survive to tell the story and share it. 
Fans of Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda can check out the rest of Becky Albertalli's novels, including three others in the Simonverse. Abdi Nazamian's next book, The Chandler Legacies, is about the culture of complicity and silence in an elite private school and will hit shelves in 2022. Jason June has a second book coming out in 2022 called Out of the Blue, a YA rom-com which follows a teen mer person who comes on land and must help a human. We asked our guests what they were impressed by lately in the queer YA space. Abdi has been reading books published in Brazil. There was one called Where We Go From Here by Lucas Rocha, and there was one called Here the Whole Time by Vitor Martins. And like, it was wonderful to read. They were translated into English and to read about the Brazilian queer experience as written by Brazilian authors was so wonderful. YA right now, we are an embarrassment of riches. One book that I just cannot stop thinking about is Leah Johnson's second book, Rise to the Sun, out July 6th. It has like all of the elements that I always loved. It's funny, voicey, romantic. It's got two points of view and they are so distinct. So it's a romance between two black girls at a music festival. But it is most certainly a love story, and it is just a phenomenal book. Johnny Garzavia's 1500 Miles from the Sun is so good. It's about Julian, who is a Latinx gay senior in Texas, and he gets drunk one night and mistakenly comes out over Twitter. And Jules is like, what do I do from here? And Johnny so perfectly explores like the joy that can really come with that. Like Jules all of a sudden has this cutie McCuterson who's sliding into his DMs. But then even with the excitement and the magic, there can still be spots where it's really scary. And like for Jules in particular, it's not safe for him to be out in his house. I'm getting goosebumps while I'm talking about it. Books help young people wrap their brains around who they are and how they fit into the world and give them the language to demand the world make space for them. Queer YA can guide young readers through the myriad experiences of coming out in different contexts and cultures. It can help them navigate the thrills and vagaries of their first and second and third loves. It can give them the tools and methods of their activist ancestors which is their inheritance as queer people. Like all of children's literature, queer love stories like Simon's and Jay's, and queer almost love stories like Reza's, can help young gay kids imagine themselves into meaningful adult lives and into fulfilling relationships that will validate and nourish and sustain them. Books can do this even long before kids get a chance to find the queer communities that will embrace them. And these stories can give parents and friends of the LGBTQ plus teens the chance to figure out just the right way to say, thank you for telling me. I'm so proud of you and happy for you. And I love you so, so much. Tell us what you think on Twitter at ReadingPod. That's R-E-A-D-I-N-G-P-O-D. Or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Your review could end up in our next newsletter, along with quotes, trivia, and updates about new episodes, which you can sign up for by visiting rememberreading.com. This episode of Remember Reading is produced by my colleagues at HarperCollins, Alessandra Balzer, 
Donna Bray, Megan Ilnitsky, Nellie Kurtzman, Colleen O'Connell, Vishali Nayak, Lauren Levite, Shannon Cox, and Nicole Wills. And special thanks to Podfly for their production support. I'm Katie Dutton. Thanks for listening.